Heyo! And welcome to the College Student Success Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping college students with mental health issues set and achieve goals for themselves to get them where they want to be. I am your host, Derek Malenzak, and this is episode 34 of the podcast. Sorry about that, guys. I forgot what episode it was for a moment there. So welcome. Here we are in week four of the semester. That means, for you mathematicians out there or non, uh, more than 20% of the semester has vanished. Lordy. (laughs) Let's get to it. All right. So here's our quick tip of the semester. So last semester, I talked about the weekly review. I think I even devoted an entire podcast episode to it. That was back in episode 13, where I had uh, everything that you would want to know about weekly reviews, why they're important, and talk about David Allen in that episode. So if you want to know more about it, go back and listen to that episode. But this is just your quick tips when it comes to your weekly review. Uh, make sure it's in your calendar. Uh, write it down somewhere. If you if you do like to do your weekly review on a Friday, which is when I like to do mine, uh, put it in your calendar. You know, block off, I'd say, half an hour uh, to gather everything. You might need a little less time some weeks. You might need a little more time. But that's, you know, typically about how long it takes me to do it. Check all of your inboxes. So go back through your email over the last week. Is there anything that you missed in terms of, you know, this open loop that you forgot to close? So go through your email, your work email, your school email, your personal email. Uh, Check your mail. Um, You know, it doesn't necessarily just mean your your singular personal email box. Uh, Check them all, you know. Make sure there's everything that you need to follow up on followed up. Check your to-do list. Is there anything you need to add? Anything that you forgot to cross off? Or maybe you did the thing and you don't have not yet progressed to the next step, and that next step makes, needs to make it onto a list. I am still an, an old school fool, so I do the paper. And I, you know, it feels good everyone in a couple of weeks I'd probably do this. Every two to three weeks I just start a brand new list. You know, I transfer everything over and it usually depresses me because it'll fill up like 75% of the lines. Um, but, you know, it just looks better than all of these crossed out things because I'll, you know, when I finish the first column, I usually go into a second column. So um, make check in with your to-do list and any missed items from your calendar the previous week. So if you uh, look back and, you know, I do a weekly calendar. So, you know, Sunday or Monday comes, you flip to the next week. Uh, Sometimes there's things that you need to attend to that, you know, ended up getting canceled from the previous week or whatnot. So look back in that week, previous week's uh, calendar listings and make sure you got everything attended to. Okay, let's get into our question of the day. And I have an exciting thing to announce. I have two questions today. Yay! Since we don't have a guest today, and it's just me, I haven't even talked about what we're going to talk about. (laughs) That's exciting. Uh, I figured I'd I'd throw two questions at you. I I found two that I liked. So the first one is entitled, Going Back to College at 27. And here it is. So I went back to college straight out of high school at one of the biggest universities in my state. I love school, but at the time I was 18, had no idea what I wanted to do with my life, just wanted to chase boys. (laughs) Took my education for granted, etc. Basically, I screwed up. I dropped out of school, worked at dead-end jobs now for the past six years, regret finish not finishing college every day of my life. I want to go back 
this coming fall. And I don't mean community college where it's pretty normal for older students to go there. I want to go back to the state university I was originally a student at. Thing is, I'll be 27 and I'm married. I'm afraid that I will be an outsider not able to relate to any students out there, or people will think I'm weird. Is it weird for a married 27-year-old to be a student at a university? Am I just being paranoid? Comments definitely welcome. Okay there, P-City Noel is the username. You are definitely not an outsider in my state university, which is New Jersey, uh, Rutgers University. Uh, you would now be considered an outsider. And I believe the last time I checked, the research was showing that the number of quote-unquote non-traditional students, so I forget what the definition is, but it, you know, if you think of a traditional student as somebody that graduates high school right around when they're 18 and immediately goes into college and then finishes college, you know, pretty much in that 18 to 20, not necessarily 21, you know, then some people have longer degrees, some people take a little bit longer. So even if you take a little longer, you would still sort of be classified as a traditional student. Uh, assuming, you know, it's that the, the key there is that you go from high school to college pretty soon. A non-traditional student, somebody that takes a long gap. Uh, so returning, yeah, I guess you would be a non-traditional student, but that's sort of a misnomer these days because the non-traditional student in many cases is becoming the, the, the traditional student in that we are seeing more and more of them every day. So do not feel like an outsider. I, I suspect once you get back and into classes, you'll see how many people they are just like yourself. Um, so good luck. Um, you are... I wouldn't say you're being paranoid. You're probably nervous about, you know, the experience and how people are going to perceive you. But I think you will have a perspective now at 27 and now valuing the experience a lot more than you you wrote about initially when you were a younger student. And I can relate to that. I didn't really value my undergraduate education that much. I valued the experience and I, I really grateful to my parents for for being able to help me with that as much as they did um but i didn't see the education for what i could have seen it as and i think that that's you know sort of what you hinted at too so my main takeaway point for you guys out there and this is something i think about a lot um when i think about marketing the podcast you know i'm marketing it to college students with mental health issues right and i think sometimes i get too bogged down in traditional student problems, you know, the ones that really plague 18 to 21 year olds. And I forget that just because uh, I'm talking to college students with mental health issues, I'm probably talking to, or I hope to be talking to a lot of older non-traditional students that are college students that may have depression or anxiety or something that may not be 20 or 21. And, you know, I don't want them to not subscribe to this podcast because they can't relate. So I really want to do things that sort of relate to college students in general. Uh, it's something that's been on my mind. So I felt like I needed to sort of address that. So if you are a non-traditional student and, there, and you, you have noted that in the podcasts, um, know that I'm working to correct that. And uh, if you have anything specific to non-traditional students you want to hear me talk about, reach out. Podcast at gmail.com. Okay, let's get into question two. Uh, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, I think. I certainly like the first response that got the most amount of upvotes, so I'll probably read that too. 
Uh, the title of this post is, Is College Pretty Much Your Last Chance to Have an Active and Fun-Filled Social Life? I see so many people at my university enjoying fun things with large groups of people their own age. Stuff like making a fool out of themselves in front of others and just enjoying a fun-filled social life with people their age. It seems like everyone was so carefree, yet also down to have fun, party, and so full of energy and everything. Is college pretty much your last chance to have an active and fun-filled social life full of high-energy people? <laughs> and the first response that is there is, yeah... After you turn 22, your skin begins to instantly sag, you start hating modern music, and you begin to vote Republican. If you don't make friends before midnight of your 22nd birthday, it's impossible to ever make any, or ever have any, and ever have any fun ever again. <laughs> so, uh, good job there, and I, uh, Nucio Pyro. Um, but I guess I could see why the person would write this question in, you know, they look around the campus, especially if you're probably, you know, a senior at this point, and you've really enjoyed college and you look around and you're like, oh man, look at this place. You know, when I leave and go out into the real work world, I'm not going to have this environment. I'm going to be changing out my hat, so to speak, from, you know, one of a student where the expectations are a little more carefree. It's okay to you know, blow off, you know, some studying and, hang out and just, I don't know, be carefree and, you know, you enter the workforce and it's like, ah, oh, those times are gone. And, um, well, they're not gone for me. Um, so for you guys that know me, I am 37 years old and I definitely, you, you feel the sag in some ways, uh, the lag, I should say, in terms of the you know, the plethora of possibilities you have when it comes to making friends. So I think that's a little bit more challenging uh, once you get out of college. But I mean, if so many people are online, you know, in online schools and taking online classes, like that's certainly got to be a barrier to making friends and getting to know people. Um, you know, what we're talking about and what this, this poster on Reddit is talking about is really just the idyllic, uh, you know, college campus, you know, live, typically living on campus, I would, I would think, um, you know, ideal that exists in many people's minds that may not be there. I mean, it was to a sense for me, um, but um, college campuses are changing in some senses. So it is not your last chance to have an active and fun-filled social life, although it just may be a little more challenging to make connections with people. Um, of similar interests. But with the internet, it's so much easier. Um, I think, you know, my 20s were kind of a wash <laughs> in some sense, uh, partially because of the topic that I'm going to talk about in a couple of minutes, um, and partially just because I was really trying to figure myself out still in my 20s. And I guess the, the big takeaway from that is, like, that's okay. Like, you don't have to have everything figured out by the time you get out of college. And I think at this point high school students are, are beginning to feel like they have to have all of their shit figured out. And, you know, God bless you guys. You know, I don't know how you could, you know. And so it wasn't until, for me, you know, it, it just lined up this way. It, it, it doesn't, you know, normally shake out exactly like this with decades. Um, but, you know, compared to my 20s, I feel like I'm sort of you know, I'm kind of killing it in my 30s, uh, and I'm really excited about the future and have never felt better. So um, I definitely have 
an active life. Um, I have a son, so definitely children changes a lot of paradigms in terms of what you consider fun. Um, but it's active and, you know, sometimes I do wish I had more other people, but I, I'm working to change that. So again, I'm, I'm optimistic about the future. So some good questions there this week, people of Reddit. And so today I am going to be talking about, uh, recovery and goal attainment, specifically recovery from, you know, drugs and alcohol, substance abuse recovery. And, uh, it's funny. I was actually planning on talking about this topic. I had it on my, uh, outline that I had put out earlier in the semester, the things that I definitely wanted to cover. I knew I wanted to talk about it. And I actually went back and listened to the recovery episode I did, episode eight, if you are interested, um, and listened back and, oh boy, is it horrifying in a sense. So that was, uh, you know, a number of episodes ago and I kind of felt dead when I listened to it. I'm like, man, I I feel like I have more energy now. And back then I, I, I apologize, you know, I hope I've gotten better. I hope you feel like I've gotten better. I do feel like I have in terms of my delivery. So, um, I went back and listened and it was a little, uh, hard, but, um, I told basically the story of my initial foray into recovery, you know, the stuff leading up to, you know, what it was like in college and, you know, first going into um, recovery, the events sort of leading up to that. Um, Today, I'm going to talk about what happened after I went into recovery um, and sort of what my goals were and how my goals changed and how now it all makes sense knowing what I know now. And uh, I'm going to sort of look at my decision to stop drinking through Derek's five factors, which I introduced back in episode 30. So before I get to that, I'm going to talk about the thing that really solidified this idea in my mind to talk about uh, recovery from drugs and alcohol, specifically alcohol. Uh, I saw my dad this week. I saw my parents this weekend. Uh, they were in town, and uh, it was a it was my father in law's seventieth birthday, and my and my parents came out. Uh, so they're sort of friends, and that's cool. And uh, I think I've discussed it in the past, but you know, my parents are both heavy drinkers, and uh, my dad himself is actually turning seventy uh, later in the year. And uh, so this was, as I said, just a couple of days ago. Uh, he mentioned to me, sort of off the cuff, that uh, he hadn't had a drink since New Year's Eve. So that means it had been uh, five, going on six weeks. And uh, I was shocked. Um, this is a man that has done a fair amount of drinking. And uh, it's sort of been a daily habit of his for a really, really, really long time. You know, as long as I've you know, known my father. So this is a sort of a big deal. And, uh, I'm just really, I can't even begin to express how proud of him I am for making this change. And I guess kind of setting this goal. We didn't really talk about it too much. Um, just cause it, w- it was kind of like not the, the place. Um, but I asked him, you know, how he felt and he said he, he just feels unbelievably great. And, you know, he's really sleeping well. And I'm just like, so I'm really happy. 
and it, it brought back a lot of feelings about, you know, when I first went into recovery. Um, so I'm going to pick up the story. You know, I was, I was 30, actually. Uh, I was right around my 30th birthday when I went into recovery. This was 2008, May. And, uh, you know, in the beginning, when you, you first go into recovery, and I suspect it's kind of like this in, in, in terms of recovery from mental illness, when you first sort of come out of the closet, so to speak, to be like, listen, you know, this is my, this is what's going on with me. You may have noticed a problem. You may have noticed a few things you were worried about. Well, this is sort of the explanation for the people that had no fucking clue. Um, it's like sort of thrilling in a sense um, to just kind of be out and open and not be hiding secrets anymore. Uh, and feel or kind of feel proud of yourself in a way that you have not felt proud of yourself in a long time. Like, I'm finally taking care of my shit, guys. Um, or this is sort of like I can now feel comfortable explaining to you, like, why I was struggling all those times. So that's sort of the what they call, I think, the pink cloud in the 12 step world. Um, and it's this, you know, honeymoon phase that eventually wears off. And then you start to settle in and it's like, okay, this is the rest of my life now. Um, And it's the daily grind, which is, I think, why so many people that have substance abuse, you know, in their background, why the relapse rates are so, you know, just unbelievable. So the majority of people relapse and... You know, majority of people do not recover completely, you know, from substance abuse. So I was not really sure that was the biggest thing for me is like, I'm, I can't drink ever again. And I was, and I guess I'd come to that conclusion when I, when I first went into recovery, then it starts to, you know, sort of eat away at you. And my goal was definitely, I don't want to drink. And then slowly but surely as the time went on, I and I hinted this in episode eight, but I didn't really describe it. I started to sort of figure out ways to rationalize being able to let myself have, you know, just a night out, you know, and the first time it was. So as I said, I went into recovery May of, of 08. I made it 26 months. Exactly. So it was July of 2010. And this is right around when Michael Jackson died. For those of you that remember that, and I was in Colorado with my wife. We were still, uh, we were not yet married. We were getting married in a few months, actually. So we were engaged. And I had decided that we were going to, I was going to try a fat tire. And that's a type of beer. Uh, New Belgium Brewery. And it was, uh, you know, sort of the dawn of the microbrew age where these beers were getting really popular, and now there's just like a billion of them. But this was a beer I'd always wanted to try, and it just wasn't available on the East Coast, and we were out there on the West Coast, and it had been 26 months. And I was like, you know what? I sort of had prepared it in my mind. My wife was there, and she was like, you know, you want to have a beer? Fine. And I probably had, you know, three or four. And woke up the next morning and was like, fine with it. You know, I was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm going to go back to not drinking. And I did. Went back to just, you know, no more drinking. And um, I decided, you know, it was, you know, not too long after that, that I was like, oh, you know, when I go on a plane ride, I can, 
you know, permit, permit myself to have a couple of alcoholic beverages because, you know, I'm on a plane. It's like vacation. And how often do I really go on a goddamn plane anyway? That's true. I only went on a plane, you know, a couple times a year, really. Um, shortly after that, you know, we got married. Honeymoon, certainly, you know, on your honeymoon. Great time to have a few drinks, and I did. Um, drank Piton beer in uh, St. Lucia. And, hell yeah, I drank a fucking ton of those Piton beers and rum. And, you know, it was great. And when I got home, I was fine again. Um but then, so that was the goal for a while. Is like, all right, how do I figure out how to kind of live in moderation, even though I know I'm an alcoholic? And this was my my way. My I was like, all right, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to set these rules. And I followed them for a little while, and my wife was sort of aware of them, um, but it wasn't sustainable. And eventually, I started breaking my own rules, or I kind of started coming up with new rules. I was like, well this time would be okay. You know, it's sort of like when you go, go fly and inevitably, you know, the times between drinking, um, got less and less, you know, as I said, first time, 26 months, second time was like, I don't know, 14 months. The next time was like nine months. And before I knew it leading up into, this was now 2013, I realized that, you know, it was definitely becoming more of a habit in my life. You know, I think that winter, you know, the holidays of 2014, I actually like had a couple of drinks, you know, at Christmas time and my family was like, oh, wow, you're, you're drinking again. I was like, yeah, you know, just a couple. And, uh, it was shortly after that, that I ended up moving to Bloomfield, which is where I live now. And that was right around when I realized, you know, this has definitely become a problem again. So that was my son at that point was about six months old. Um, I had been in recovery now for five years, you know, and here I was, you know, sort of buying vodka when I was supposed to be, you know, <laughs> doing other things. And... Um, you know, it was a problem and it never got to be a huge problem. My relapses, you know, I never got shit faced drunk by myself, you know, and crashed cars or, you know, neglected my son. It was never like that. You know, it was like a couple of slips here and there, you know, and I never even got like wasted. It was like, you know, it's kind of stupid when you think about it. But, uh, you know, the one time was, I realized it was like, too many times. And, uh, I, again, came clean to my wife and told her I had been drinking when she was not around. And, uh, it was big, you know, couldn't believe I was back there. Uh, as I said, it never got to be horrific. Like it was never every day or, you know, as I said, I was never getting plastered again, but it was definitely, um, very bad behavior that left unchecked would have devolved back into really, really, really bad behavior. So, uh, the goal again changed, you know, back to, all right, I guess I really can't drink again and there's no more ways to rationalize it. I can't set rules. Uh, I'm just like everybody else. I'm just like every other recovering alcoholic. 
and I went back to AA, and I have not had a drop of alcohol since. And so it's going on three years in a couple months, and I'm really proud of that time of sobriety. You know, I'm proud of it all. I, I do really consider myself having been in recovery since 08. So, um, because the times even when I was slipping up, you know, were, you know, a couple of dozen, I guess, over five years, you know, it was never, it never got to be a habit. And that's what I considered my alcoholism is that daily drinking to excess, um, with the horrific tolerance, um, you know, I never got back to that after I went into a recovery in 08. And now the goal is the same as the goal was three years ago, um, or right around then. Uh, I can't drink again. And I'm really happy to say I don't want to fucking drink. And I'm happy to say that. Um, I, For a long time, my wife was really supportive, and she didn't keep any booze in the house to, you know, limit my, my cravings and, you know, my access to it. And now... I'm cool. I told her, I'm like, you want to keep some booze in the house? I really, it doesn't even bother me. I don't even see it. Like I kind of just, it's just part of the decor in the kitchen, you know? Um, and I'm really proud to be able to say that. So, um, so when I think about the goal of stopping drinking, you know, through Derek's five factors, um, the passion, you know, when you make a change like that really has to be there. What I, you know, I don't really say I have a passion for sobriety like some people do. I know some people that are really into the fact that they're in recovery and talk about it a lot and go to a lot of meetings and have a lot of recovery sober friends that are all talk about how great recovery is. And I think that is great. Um, that's not me. Um, I just am much more, you know, kind of play it close to the vest. Um, but I think the passion of this is when people talk about, you know, you have to go in recovery for you. You know, you can't do it for somebody else. Uh, you can't, I don't know. I can't, I don't believe you can. You have to really want it for yourself. You can't want it for your wife or because of your son or whoever. And that's where the passion is for, I think, anyone that is enable, able to be successful with this kind of goal. The value is enormous. You know, that is, you know, the health benefits that is the just, you know, the change in how you feel. You get a tremendous value in, in making a commitment to stop drinking um, or use any kind of uh, drug of abuse. The leverage, um, you're able to kind of leverage the success of achieving a goal like that, which is really hard to do and really, I think, very socially, like... Um, you know, social, society is enthusiastic about people that are able to stop, you know, using substances because they know, I think so few people are able to do it for so long. Um, you can often leverage that into further success. You know, this idea of success breeding success is really true. So if you can get on board and achieve a goal like that, it really does propel you to achieve even bigger and better things. Uh, accountability for me is the number one thing when it when it comes down to this goal I could not have done this goal without being accountable and, and sort of putting it out there to everybody what I was and the fact that I could not drink again and once they knew that I knew I wasn't going to try it because I knew that they would keep me to that so um you know I did a good job convincing them you know oh it's okay you know as I said I, I was drinking around my family as late as early as I mean as recently as what was that December of 2012 
and I somehow got them to think like, hey, it's not so bad, you know, I'm cool now. And now that I look back, I'm like, well, it was a bad sign and people couldn't pick up on it because I had done so well for so long. Um, so I had to kind of recommit to that. And sustainability, you know, that's sort of what I'm talking about here is like, it's easy to make the decision and go into recovery. And I know in some ways it's really hard. You know, I, if it was easy, I would have done it way earlier than I had done it. I mean, I was doing so poorly for so long before that. Um, but once you, once you come out and say it, um, the next few steps are easy because it's sort of like prescribed, like, okay, you know, we're going to support you and these are the things that you need to do to stay well. And then sort of people forget that it's a, str- a daily struggle and don't check in as often. And it's sort of, you go back to life and then you, you, you suffer your first setback and the things that you used to rely on, like, oh, I used to get so, such a relaxing feeling when I was going through a stressful time and I could, you know, have a few drinks and that's not available to you, you know, that's when sustainability and the things that you do, relapse prevention strategies that you have in place really come into play. So sustainability is huge when it comes to, you know, a goal like I'm going to stop drinking or using drugs when you've been abusing them or dependent on them for a really long time. And that is what I, you know, wish only the best for my father in terms of his decision, you know, um, first few weeks, definitely there's like this like glow you have about it and then eventually life sets in and you know maybe he'll go back to drinking and this will just be uh you know experiment um but maybe not i really don't think he'd have even considered stopping though if if i had not made the decision so um again really proud of you dad i don't know if you're listening but uh anyway this sort of leads me into this article that I just found fascinating uh, this week. And I, I heard about it. I think I saw it on Reddit. Um, and it's about accepting the defaults in your life and this study that was done. So I have an article about it. I actually wasn't able to find the study. Normally, I would go right to the source with this kind of thing and read the study. But I have to admit, I did not read the study. I, I could not find it. Um, but I am going to keep looking. So this is called, What Does Your Web Browser Say About Your Career? Research Reveals Interesting Results. All right, so you could have been thinking that, I'm going to read from the article. Uh, It's not that long. Um, No, it's really short. So I'm going to read through the article and then talk about what I think about it. You could have been thinking that web browser you use at your job is only related to the type of work you do. But a study presented by renowned economist Mike Hausman suggests that one can predict your job performance and commitment to career only if he knew which web browser you were using. According to the study, people who use Chrome and Firefox at their job are more committed towards their work, while people using Internet Explorer or Safari are less passionate as compared to the first type of people, the ones that use Chrome or Firefox. The findings further claim that people who use Chrome and Firefox are better performers as well. Meanwhile, such people also spend 15% longer time at their work as compared to Internet Explorer and Safari users. (laughs) All right, I'm going to keep reading. Reacting to the findings, one can think of improving his performance by changing web browser from Internet Explorer to Chrome. (laughs) However, anyone with such thought should stand corrected, as web browser they were previously using actually signaled 
I'm sorry, I'm going to start that again. However, anyone with such thought that anyone with such thought should stand corrected, as the web browser they were previously using actually signaled about their overall attitude towards affairs of life. Because the browsers like Internet Explorer and Safari come as pre-installed in Windows and iOS, while one has to install Chrome or Firefox by himself. Actually, the philosophy behind this study is that some people tend to reject the default browsers, Safari and Internet Explorer, and install some new, of their, new one of their choice. Such people reject their default lives as well. Meanwhile, some people accept the default browsers, and likewise, in their real life, they tend to accept the matters of life as a default. And, and that's the article. <laughs> kind of shitty article, actually. Um, sorry. Uh, I do have a link to it in the show notes for today. But I really sort of believe this. Um, I It doesn't surprise me. you know. And this comes back to this idea of what are the defaults in your life? You know, I talked about one last week, you know, for many people that were in position like mine, this, the lie that you were sold, you know, this idea that like, when you go to high school and you do well and you graduate, the next thing you do is you go to school, you know, college or university and get a degree. And then you go right into the workforce and you have, you know, a great job there waiting for you. And that debt that you accrued, eh, don't worry about it. Um, that's sort of the default. That was my default. You know, I, it was sort of pre-programmed, like that was what I was going to do. And I, I suspect that a lot of people these days um, that are in shoes similar to mine back then when I was uh, making these decisions and setting those, those kinds of goals um, kind of have as their default as well. And as, as the article says, like, this is not to say that all you have to do to fix this problem is change your web browser. What this says is that the people that think about it, you know, think about the process of like, you know what, this isn't working that well for me. I'm going to look for something better. It takes a certain kind of person to do that. And then you think, consider the other person that just keeps using Internet Explorer. I'm going to pick on that one because Internet Explorer, I'm sorry, guys, if you guys use it, this is just my opinion. <laughs> uh, it fucking sucks. Um, you know, the, the, what the study implies is that people that are in that category tend to not even think about that. And, and what does it lead to? You know, the people that that all reject the default in favor of searching for something that better meets their needs tend to be what did they say in the article? more productive, spend more time at work, you know, awesome, awesome, interesting, well-designed kind of idea um, by this guy Hausman. I can't speak for the actual numbers and how much, because sometimes, you know, studies like this have a way of kind of overrating uh, how significant the findings are. So I will still uh, kind of look in on that, but, you know, think about it. Um, and think about it in terms of this week's home exercise. Um, and that's kind of where we're at now. So this week's home exercise involves a little bit of critical thinking. <laughs> Hopefully you've made some progress on your goals since week one. So let me just go back and review what the home exercises have been starting uh, with week one this semester. So week one, we set a goal and we considered the five factors that we talked about uh, a little while ago, passion, value, leverage, accountability and sustainability just as a way to kind of 
view it through those different lenses and see where you might need to kind of pay special attention, um, anticipate barriers, whatnot. Week two, we thought about what we were going to need for our happiness and well-being, considered what happiness achieving your goals would bring you, and write down your goal and why you want it. So the first week, we were really tapping into passion. The second week, we talked about accountability. Um, The third week, which was last week, related back to sustainability and the interview I did with uh, Zachary Sexton talking about um, different things that you can do, setting up systems in your life to help you be more productive and efficient. And I asked you to pick one of those things we talked about, um, block out space in your calendar, and do that thing. You know, and these are pretty, like, um, easily well-defined sort of objective tasks. This one will be a little bit different. So it depends on where you're at with your goal, what I'm going to ask you to do. So if you have not made progress on your goal, let's say you're following along with Derek here week one, you say, this is what I want to do. And here we are three weeks later and you really haven't made much progress. What's going on? Um, Consider why you're not making progress. Let's get to the bottom of it, right? Is there too much going on? Do you not know where to even fucking start? Um, do you, are you really not into that goal? <laughs> you just really, you know, you should do it, but you really, it's just like, eh, I don't have that passion, you know? Um, it, I get this, I get all of these kind of excuses, but that's sort of what they are, you know? Um, sometimes we've had, you know, genuine roadblocks, like, <laughs> You know, I was I was setting up to my goal was to run a marathon and the next week I broke my ankle because I slipped on some ice. All right, I get that. And you're excused. Um, let's pick a new goal and catch up real quick, okay? Um, but if it's one of these other things, um, I've got podcast episode numbers after each of them, a few. So if your problem is you got too much else going on, maybe go back and listen to episodes 9 and 15. If you don't know where to start with your goal, you might check out episodes 5, episode 7, and episode 24. And if you don't really want to do the goal, I would suggest going back to some of the more recent episodes, 29 and 31. Um, So they are definite barriers. I get that. Um, But we have talked about them on the podcast. And, you know, there's some things we could do. Rituals, habits, you know, talking through mindfulness and whatnot um, to sort of get to the bottom of what needs to be changed in order to kind of start to make traction on these goals. Now, if you have made progress, OMG, you are fucking awesome. (laughs) I hope you are finding this podcast helpful and it is in some way, you know, kind of propelling you forward. If not, that's cool too. And you're just along for the ride. I'm really, really happy to hear if this is you that, you know, you're, you're making some great steps and strides towards your goal. Uh, If this is you, Your next step involves looking at some of the defaults in your life. You know, think back to this, you know, and it, Internet Explorer is sort of like a silly one. Like you could extend it to kind of like what I had done in terms of like what my default life is supposed to look like, you know, um, what are these? Are you okay with them? You okay with the fact that you're following it or, you know, have you recognized this already and made the decision not to, um, are you in any way, are they in any way keeping you from achieving your goals? You don't have to do anything rash about these things this week uh, if you're not ready to. 
this is sort of just an eye-opener exercise intending to expose you to kind of where you derive value in your life and what your responsibilities are that may drain you of that value that you really don't need to be doing. It's sort of just society saying like, um, you know, this is what's expected of you. <laughs> um, I can certainly relate. Um, so I'm going to talk about a couple of defaults I'm rejecting. Um, first off, my own example with my current goals. So my goal, as I'd mentioned earlier in uh, a few podcasts ago, is to really get this online course that I've written off the ground. And I have to admit, in the last uh, week or two, I have made very little progress. Um, and I think that's sort of um, one of those defaults um, getting in there. This idea that you know, I've got my job, my 40-hour workweek job, and I do what my boss tells me to. And if I, you know, put my, you know, work my ass off, I can get promoted and, you know, live a good life, working life, and eventually retire and things are great. And as long as I stick to that plan, I'm good. And all these other competing responsibilities, you know, oh, you need to get married, you need to have a kid. Um, I followed those and... I am completely fucking happy that I did. So um, no complaints there. So it's certainly not bad to kind of default to what life sort of writes for you uh, if you're cool with it. Um, but it's a couple of them I'm not totally cool with, right? You know, I'm doing this online course because I, I have this like passion for entrepreneurship I guess. And I really want to kind of create something on my own and sort of have my own little side hustle. And I just think it would sort of help me kind of stand out. And, you know, it would be cool to kind of make a little extra money. So that's sort of, uh, that's sort of the default I'm rejecting here is like, you know, I don't need to be doing this. And, you know, it's like, I don't, you know, I had this momentum and it sort of crashed a little, but I know what I need to do. And, and I'm, I'm committed to it. It's just, you know, got to get back on track. And that's what relapse is, right? I sort of relapsed on this goal in the last week. You know, we're allowed. Recovery isn't linear. Um, but the the idea is to kind of recognize that and, and take the steps to get yourself back on that accountability train. Um, I, I could think of sort of a larger one, you know, a couple of them, you know, that I'm rejecting. You know, I get it a lot from family members like, so when are you going to, you know, settle down and buy a house? You know, I have a confession to make, guys. I'm 37 years old. I have a family, and I do not own my own home. And some of you might be like, oh, cool. You know, it may not, you know, matter much. And some of you are like, oh, I get it. You know, I can relate to this idea. It's like, oh, yeah, you should have your, you should be owning your own home at 37. Uh, but I don't. And it's not because I can't. Um, I could afford to own my own home if I wanted to. It's, and sort of this default is like, hey, you should do that. But it's like my wife and I have talked about it at length and decided that it's not for us right now. Um, we certainly will eventually. Um, but, you know, it's just not the time. It's not the location. I don't know what it is. Um, but we just know that we are, we are in the best position for us right now and it's totally fine. And because we're on the same page with that, it really doesn't matter to me what anybody else thinks. <laughs> um, so that's cool. Um, and, you know, so this is sort of an exercise. It's a little bit more of a, um, 
as I said, the critical thinking one that will, you know, it's not so much do this and then you'll have this. It's sort of like where are you following the path, you know, the lifestyle design question, I guess. Um, are you designing your own life or are you letting your life be designed by somebody else? And if you are allowing it to be designed by somebody else, are you cool with that? And do you recognize that that's happening? So that's sort of um, what's going on with me and what I wanted to talk about this week. One more thing, uh, just to kind of wrap up on a, on a good note. Um, I had set a goal for myself last year that I achieved today. And I'm sort of happy about it, so I kind of wanted to share it with you guys. Um, when I really got serious about goal setting and, and I was getting into, you know, uh, conceptualizing this podcast and, and, you know, deciding for myself, like I wanted to, you know, take steps to sort of become uh, a little more independent in some ways. Uh, one of the things that I had set out to do was pay off my student loan debt. And so I set this goal at the beginning of last year. So it was right at the end of 2014. I took a look and I was like, you know what? I am sick of, be, of carrying around the student loan debt. At that point, I, I had um, loans from my undergraduate schooling as well as my graduate schooling. And I graduated from undergrad in 2000, so I'd carried those loans around at that point going on 15 years. I graduated from uh, grad school in 2008, right around when I went into recovery, actually. And uh, so I've been carrying those around for about seven years. And so... Uh, I really decided at the beginning of last year, like, I'm going to pay this shit off. I'm so sick of my student loans. And so mid-year or so, I paid off the undergrad ones and was really happy about that. And today, I'm happy to report I made my last student loan payment for grad school. So I don't want to sound like I'm gloating at all um, because I can understand the position that some of you guys are in that are listening to this. Like, you motherfucker. I don't even want to hear you paying off student loans. I haven't even started paying off my loans yet. And I am cool. I'm going to stop gloating or if that's, you know, how you guys are taking it. Um, But what I'm talking about it for is because of goal achievement. I actually set this goal to happen by the end of the year, by the end of 2015, and I did not meet my goal. (laughs) Uh, I missed it by about 40 days, you know, if you count, you know, how how long into uh, 2016 it took me to finally achieve this goal. But you know what? I don't care. And that's the, the takeaway here is like set a time frame. But if it's really important to you and the time frame is just a time frame, right? Um, so this wouldn't have worked in for certain other goals. Like if my goal was to, I don't know, I guess it would in some ways. But if your goal is to run a marathon, run a marathon in October and you're not in shape by October, um, may not be a good idea to run that marathon. You may just actually end up postponing a run. Maybe your goal changes to I want to run a goal and I want to run a marathon in January. Um, it's all right, man. Um, just put your head down. If you don't meet it in the time frame that you set up, um, you know, sometimes setbacks happen. But really all that matters is that you consistently take action. You know, keep working at it. Put your head down. Think about the different things, the defaults in your life, the different things that give you value, bring you value to your life, and sustainable ways that you can um, really kind of put yourself into a good mindset and build these healthy practices to achieve those fucking 
goals. <laughs> and with that, uh, this is Derek from the College Student Success Podcast wishing you a great week. Uh, I will be back next week, and I hope to have a guest for you. Um, and sort of the thing I'll leave you on is this, um, this idea of like, I wanted to, leave, you know, for the people that have been taking action and have made some progress, you know, think about these different defaults and just kind of be aware of them. Be aware that they exist, sort of have some insight like, oh yeah, I sort of been following this one and I like that and I'm fine with that or I'm following this sort of pattern that was sort of laid out for me, whether it be by society or my family and I'm not so sure I want to be doing that. Next week, hopefully, we'll take you that next step. I'm going to hopefully be bringing you somebody to talk about mindfulness. Um, so, have a great week, guys. Peace.